Hello everyone and welcome to the May 26th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The WCAB imposed Labor Code Section 5814 penalties and attorney fees on an employer for following what it called an unreasonable UR determination. Here's what happened in the case of Salem versus the County of Riverside. Adele Salem sustained an industrial injury to his back and neck in 1978 while employed as a deputy sheriff by the County of Riverside. In 1981, he received a stipulated award of 45% permanent disability and further medical treatment. He then had four back surgeries between 1981 and 2002. He claimed that the defendant had suddenly stopped approving all prescribed pain medications in August 2011. At the time, he was taking approximately four Norco per day. His PTP reported that it was inappropriate to just take a person off of Norco abruptly. However, the UR physician reported that ongoing and chronic use of a narcotic analgesic was not medically supported. UR said that the patient was essentially at maximum medical improvement and has received benefit from recent cervical epidurals and there is no ongoing significant pain for which a narcotic analgesic would be necessary. Applicant filed a petition for penalties alleging that the defendant unreasonably denied medical care. The Workers' Compensation Administrative Law Judge denied penalties, finding that the defendant established a good faith medical dispute based upon its reliance on its UR process. But the WCAB granted reconsideration and reversed. The WCAB said that once the applicant has established that defendant delayed the provision of his medical treatment, the burden shifts to the defendant to justify its abrupt termination of applicant's prescribed medication. Defendant has not met this burden. Applicant had been prescribed pain medication for many years when defendant decided to seek utilization review of the PTP's prescription refill for the first time. The UR physician's non-certification of applicant's medications did not justify defendant's abrupt termination. Thus, the UR physician's medical opinion does not constitute substantial evidence upon which defendant could rely to establish a genuine doubt. The MTUS expressly recommends a slow taper of opioid medications and actually recommended against immediate termination of narcotic refills. Defendant could not reasonably rely upon the UR physician's report as a basis to immediately terminate applicant's prescriptions. As these proceedings were brought to enforce the prior award of medical treatment, the WCAB on its own ruled that applicant's attorney is entitled to payment of a reasonable attorney's fee pursuant to Labor Code Section 5814.5. But Commissioner Deidre Lowe dissented and indicated she would affirm the work comp judge's determination that the UR decertification of narcotic prescriptions provided defendant with a genuine doubt as to its liability to continue to authorize the medications.
The Court of Appeal rejected death benefits in a correctional officer's special mission death case. Here's what happened in the published opinion of Lance versus the WCAB. Lieutenant Seth Patrick Lance, a 33-year-old correctional officer at Pleasant Valley State Prison in Coalinga, was killed in an automobile accident on his way home from work. He lived in the Bakersfield area and commuted to the prison in his own vehicle. The one-way commute was over 85 miles. Lance regularly worked 40 hours per week and had Sundays and Mondays off as his regular day off. But on the day of the accident, Lance was informed that he would need to hold over and serve as the watch commander for the next shift, which ran from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. Lance had served as watch commander before. When a replacement watch commander is needed, the procedure used for selecting the replacement has been agreed upon by the officer's union. Lance was assigned the holdover shift as watch commander in accordance with the agreed upon procedure. While traveling home, Lance drove his personal vehicle and the only state property he transported to and from work was a protective vest. Department employees were not paid for their commuting time, were not required to own personal vehicles, and were not required to wear their uniforms to and from work. In fact, correctional officers were advised to remove or cover the upper part of their uniform when commuting. Lance died as a result of a fatal accident on his way home after the holdover shift. His widow, on behalf of herself and four children, filed a death claim contending that Lance sustained the fatal injury during the course of his employment. The work comp judge agreed and found that Lance sustained an injury arising out of and in the course of his employment, resulting in his death. The State Compensation Insurance Fund filed a petition for reconsideration, which was granted. The WCAB rescinded the order and concluded that the going and coming rule would control the outcome unless the special mission exception applied. The WCAB concluded that it was not extraordinary for Lance to be held over and required to work a second shift. This was an occurrence so common that the employer and officers union had established official procedures for assigning holdover shifts. Secondly, the WCAB indicated that requiring Lance to act as the watch commander was not extraordinary because it was part of established procedures. The duties performed in that position were similar to his usual responsibilities, and Lance was among the officers regularly assigned to that position. Consequently, the WCAB found that Lance did not sustain an injury arising out of and in the course of his employment, resulting in his death. In March 2013, the Court of Appeal issued an order summarily denying applicants' petition for writ of review. Applicants then filed a petition for review of the California Supreme Court, which was granted with directions for the Court of Appeal to issue a writ of review and evaluate the case. Accordingly, the Court of Appeal reviewed the case and affirmed the denial of death benefits in the published opinion of Lance versus the WCAB. 
The Court of Appeal concluded that the WCAB's decision involved weighing evidence and choosing among conflicting inferences that could be drawn from the evidence. Under the standards for judicial review, the court upheld the finding of fact that the holdover shift was not extraordinary because it was supported by substantial evidence. Therefore, the decision of the WCAB denying benefits was affirmed. A WCAB en banc decision clarified that payment in a 100% PD case and the COLA calculation starts when TD ends rather than when the claimant is MMI. Here's what happened in the case of Brower versus the State Compensation Insurance Fund. In 2005, Warren Brower sustained an industrial injury to his low back, left knee, and psyche. The work comp judge found that Brower's injury caused nearly six years of temporary total disability from December 2005 through October 2011 and then caused permanent total disability. But payment of TDD ended in 2007 because of the 104-week maximum cap on TTD. Thus, the award of 100% disability resulted in a nearly four-year gap between the last payment of TTD indemnity and the first payment of permanent total disability. Applicant petitioned for reconsideration contending that his permanent total disability payments should have commenced as of December 21, 2007 and not October 6, 2011. He argued that Section 4650B of the Labor Code says that permanent total disability payments should commence on the day after the last payment of temporary total disability. Applicant also contends he is titled to annual cost of living adjustments or COLAs commencing on January 1, 2008 pursuant to Labor Code Section 4659. The WCAB in the end bank decision reversed and concluded that when a defendant stops paying temporary disability indemnity before an injured worker is determined to be permanent and stationary, the defendant shall commence paying permanent disability indemnity based on a reasonable estimate of PD. When an injured worker who is receiving permanent partial disability payments becomes permanent and stationary and is determined to be permanently totally disabled, the defendant shall pay permanent total disability indemnity retroactive to the date its statutory obligation to pay temporary disability indemnity terminated. COLAs begin on the first day in January after an injured worker becomes entitled to receive permanent disability indemnity. SB 899 amended the Labor Code to provide for a 104-week cap on temporary disability. Concurrently, the legislature also amended the Labor Code to require that permanent disability commence when the last payment of temporary disability indemnity has been made. 8 former NFL players filed a new class action lawsuit alleging that the NFL supplied them with illegally prescribed painkillers throughout their careers, which led to medical complications such as addiction later in life. Specifically, the players are alleging 
The NFL illegally and unethically supplied players serious pain medications, including addictive opioids and NSAIDs, such as Toradol. The NFL did so for financial gain in order to keep them in competition rather than allowing them to rest and heal. They further alleged that the NFL fraudulently concealed the dangerous side effects of the drugs from the players. The illegal prescription of these painkillers allegedly has led to dangerous medical conditions later in life, including painkiller addiction, stage 3 renal failure, and high blood pressure. More than 500 other former players have signed on to the lawsuit, which was filed in U.S. District Court in San Francisco. They are attempting to make the case a class action lawsuit. This is the second class action lawsuit filed against the NFL by former players. In August 2013, the league agreed to a $765 million settlement with former players who alleged the league lied to players about the physical danger of concussions. And now our fraud report. Two business owners out of Soledad and Monterey counties pleaded guilty to failing to secure workers' compensation insurance, both misdemeanors. 47-year-old Everardo Nieto and 38-year-old Guz Larzovich were each placed on three years probation in order to pay several thousand dollars in fines. Nieto owns Everclean, a Soledad-based carpet cleaning business. An employee filed a complaint with the Division of Labor Standards Enforcement indicating he was owed wages and had been injured on the job. During the DA's investigation, Nieto was invited to a contractor state licensing board sting operation in which it was learned he had employees but not their required workers' compensation insurance. Lazarovich is a licensed contractor out of Monterey who indicated to the contractor state licensing board that he was exempt from maintaining insurance as he did not have employees. But the licensing board investigators discovered employees paving a driveway in Monterey. Lazarovich previously claimed he always worked by himself, but later admitted the type of work being done could not be accomplished by a single person. A former Los Angeles County probation officer was arrested for allegedly collecting fraudulent workers' compensation uh, payments. 29-year-old Robin Palmer was arrested on 14 felony counts of insurance fraud, forgery, wire fraud, and grand theft. After a joint investigation by county probation officials, State Department of Insurance investigators, and Allstate Insurance, Palmer had filed claims and received disability insurance benefits for a shoulder injury she said had occurred in 2013 while restraining a young inmate at the county juvenile hall. But investigators later found she was not at work on the day the injury allegedly occurred. And there were no employee records of a work-related injury. Palmer had collected about $29,000 in workers' comp payments. Members of a newly created team that investigates workers' compensation claims within the probation department audited the claim and noticed the discrepancy. Probation officials said the case was part of a push to crack down on fraud in the department. A county employee in another department was arrested last month 
on suspicion of workers' compensation fraud. Parks and Recreation Department employee, 52-year-old Suzette Boggs, allegedly exaggerated the symptoms she experienced after contracting Lyme disease from a tick bite while working at Placerita Canyon Nature Center in Newall. State insurance officials said Boggs was found to have maintained a physically active lifestyle as a drummer and singer in a band since 2007, in direct conflict with symptoms she reported to her physicians about her physical capabilities. She was alleged to have collected nearly $365,000 more than she was entitled to in disability benefits. A former Los Angeles Unified School District police officer, 48-year-old Pedro Placentia of Canyon Country, was arrested for workers' compensation fraud. He is being charged with presenting a false material statement, concealment, and perjury for attempting to defraud the insurance company by exaggerating the extent of his injuries. He allegedly sustained a work-related injury while patrolling the school campus on his patrol bicycle when he ran over a cantaloupe and lost control of the bike. Placentia originally claimed injury to his right knee, right foot, and right hand, but after obtaining legal counsel, he added injury to his back, hips, and both knees. Placentia originally denied any prior medical injury. However, subpoenaed medical records indicated that he did, in fact, sustain prior injuries to those body parts. His permanent disability finding was changed when the treating doctor was supplied with the medical records reflecting the true injury history. And in regulatory news, the DWC issued a notice of public hearing for proposed changes to the medical treatment utilization schedule regulations. The proposal sets forth a framework to determine best practices for providing medical care for work-related illnesses or injuries. A public hearing has been scheduled at 10 o'clock a.m. July 1st in the auditorium of the Elihu Harris Building, 1515 Clay Street in Oakland. Members of the public may also submit written comment on the regulations until 5 o'clock p.m. that day. The proposed amendments to the MTUS clarify the scientific process by which evidence-based clinical decisions should be made. The proposed regulations set forth the process used to determine reasonable and necessary medical care when the MTUS is silent on a particular medical condition, therapeutic procedure, or diagnostic test, or when the MTUS is successfully rebutted. The process begins with a medical literature search sequence, followed by an evaluation according to an explicit, systematic, strength of evidence methodology to determine which recommendation is supported with the best available evidence. Recommendations supported with the best available medical evidence shall be used to determine what is reasonable treatment. Finally, the proposed regulations add two additional members to the Medical Evidence Evaluation Advisory Committee and address the role and duties of these members. The proposed changes to the MTUS regulations start with Section 9792.20 of Title VIII of the California Code of Regulations. 
the DWC will consider all public comments and may modify the proposed regulations for consideration during an additional 15-day public comment period. The notices of rulemaking, text of the regulations, and the initial statements of reasons can be found on the MTUS rulemaking page. The DWC has also issued a notice of public hearing for proposed copy service fee schedule regulations. The public hearing has been scheduled for 10 a.m. Tuesday, July 1st in room 1 of the Elihu Harris Building, 1515 Clay Street in Oakland. Members of the public may also submit written comments on the regulations until 5 o'clock p.m. that day. Acting Administrative Director Desti Overpeck said that this copy service fee schedule will reduce litigation and allow providers to submit fee disputes to independent bill review. It will also add clarity regarding allowable services. Senate Bill 863 requires the DWC to implement a schedule of reasonable maximum fees for copying and related services. This fee schedule was developed in consultation with the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation. The copy service fee schedule provides for a maximum flat fee of $180 for records up to 500 pages and includes all associated services such as pagination, witness fees, and subpoena preparation. For more than 500 pages, an additional per page fee of 20 cents per page is allowed. Certificates of no record would be payable at a maximum of $100. Proposed changes include allowing the DWC to bill $85 an hour instead of $40 an hour for electronic requests made under the Public Records Act and to charge $1 for CDs of these records. The proposed changes also include an allowance for DWC to dispose of paper adjudication documents after 20 years and replaces deposits required for DWC transcripts with an upfront $150 fee for transcripts of 50 pages and under. For transcripts over 50 pages, an extra $3 per page would be paid before the transcript is released. The notice and text of the regulations can be found on the proposed regulations page. The DIR is pleased to announce a reduction in the independent medical review and independent bill review fees effective April 1, 2014. These new fees represent a 25% reduction from the older fees. Parties who submitted an IMR or IBR on or after April 1, 2014 will receive a refund in the amount of fees paid in excess of the new fee schedule. For example, the standard IMRs involving non-pharmacy claims, the previous fee of $560 per IMR has now been reduced to $420. For expedited IMRs involving non-pharmacy claims, the previous fee of $685 per IMR has been reduced to $515. For a completed IBR, the previous fee of $335 per IBR has been reduced to $250. Similar reductions have been made to the various types of IMR 
and IBR reviews. That is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I am Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And please drop by again next week for more news.